Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. Shortly, I'm going to be joined by Buck, and we are going to discuss all of this week's news, of which there is an abundance, like truly, truly a lot of things happened this week in surfing, and even going back to last week that we're going to touch on a bit. So that includes the sale of uh, board riders to ABG. It also includes the life and death of the world's best surf forecasting site. We're going to talk about the best surfing Tom Jennings has ever seen and a piece of art that basically almost made me come to tears. We're going to talk about the female surfer that was attacked in Bali. I'm sure you've seen the clip on Instagram. We have the interview to explain what went down. And we're going to talk about a complex problem that's happening on the North Shore right now. We also have a surf sin and a half. You'll understand when you get there. So without further ado, let's drop in. Mikey, 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 Mikey. Do you know what the biggest story of the week is? It's huge. I got a big one. Uh, there's quite a few. I just I don't know where you're going with this exactly, so I'm excited to hear. Think about it. Use your brain. What event is on right now? The, what, the Marubra One Star? Yep, that's on. We've been following it very closely. We are not just a CS pod, we're a QS pod. We ladder down as well. But you know, you know Bells is on, right? You remember what happened this time last year? There was a petition. It's a major cut. People get feisty. Easter, you know, people come out of tombs and shit. It's crazy what happens this time of year. What do you think the biggest story of the week is? You're going to have to tell me. Stabs, the Drop Podcast, would like to be the first to announce that Jack Robinson has officially made the mid-year cut. <laughs> Thank God. It's, folks... <laughs> I know it's a surprise. Let it sink in. Jack Robinson made the cut. It's official. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations, Jack. This is huge. If you don't know what I'm referencing, uh, this was a WSL post this week that a lot of people found a great degree of humor in, myself included. And it's one of those things, too, where it's like, in theory, you kind of get it. You're like, okay, they've rejigged this whole system, and now there's this mid-year cut, and it's good to show who made it and who hasn't. And, like, as shit goes on and like people actually you know that's a big conversation for a lot of people but doing it with jack robinson this week was just hilarious and um i had to go there. you know what makes it even better is that the cut line last year was in the nine thousand point range for the men which means that they could have technically dropped this after pipeline and been probably right Uh, again, like I get it in theory. Like you're like, okay, yeah, let's do an announcement every time somebody officially made it. And yet, yeah, to your point, they probably could have done it by. But still, anyway, there's some a lot of real news this, this week. Let's get there. The life and death of the world's best surf forecasting site. Asterisk wrote the title, added the asterisk because magic seaweed is what this story references and it is no longer well it is still with us but it will soon be no longer with us it's going away it's going to disappear it's getting deleted from the internet mud floods you know how they do uh conspiracy theories mikey i don't think this one stings you as much as it stung me but what was your overall thoughts on this how do you feel yeah i don't use magic seaweed um Maybe I should or should have, perhaps. I guess that opportunity is should now have. gone. But... Past tense. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. As as uh, sort of generic as it seems, I do use Surfline a lot for like kind of just daily stuff. It's just easy. Like you can go, they have all the cams. Like it's just really convenient. And the color scale is something that we're all figuring out, I suppose. But like when I really want to see a storm, I'll go onto Storm Surf to get a real sense of what it's doing. But like just for day to day, I'm using Surfline. So I understand that in places like Europe, for instance, where you are magic seaweed was much more reliable. So I do, I feel for you guys over there. But also having read this interview and having gotten to know this guy, Ben, a little bit, who basically founded Magic Seaweed, uh, owned it up until 2015 when he sold it to Surf Stitch along with Stab. Um, it seems like he just has such a good eye for this. And not only does he, it, you know, does he have all the analytical breakdown stuff and he's really smart, but he seems to care about it a lot. So I would imagine that this transition into, you know, morphing the two would come with some contingency plan, plan for the Euros. Like I, Ben's located in Europe. So I feels like, feel like he's not going to let Surfline just completely you know, absorb magic seaweed and turn it all to shit. Like, I feel like he's going to, if anything, put his little Euro spin onto this new surf line thing. Okay. I get it. I get, I get what you're saying, but here's, 
what I thought was so special about magic seaweed was that, okay, obviously I live in an area that it was really good. Right. So that's, that's one, but that's not the only reason why I thought it was the best in the world. The main reason I'd say I thought it was the best in the world is because they gave you free seven day forecasts for anywhere in the world. And they had regions where they're strong. They had regions where they were weak, but even the weak regions, it was something. And even if you spent some time there, like I think they were, even if they didn't have it exactly dialed in, I think they're at least consistent. Um, and it was free for seven days and it didn't look like shit. I mean, there's a lot out there that, that work, but are just painful to look at. Um, magic Subi, there's a nice app on your phone. I, I thought the site made sense. Like, okay, but was... wait, wait, hold on. Let me get something clear first. So you're saying you're, you're making this whole thing about the seven day free thing. So you were a Magic Seaweed Plebeian member, then, right? Not a Magic Seaweed Premium member? Oh, no, 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 no. I was Premium, and I'd hardly look at the long-range ones. I liked Premium mostly because it let you look back at old swells, which this came up in my conversation oh, with Ben. Interesting. But one of my favorite things about Magic Seaweed was that you could see exactly, like, and you could see day by day how it changed. So you could see, like, the day of, if I remember, I'd serve two years ago and I got really good waves at this one spot. I could see their exact numbers that day. I could see how it was changing leading up to that day. Like he said in this conversation, we, we were honest about it. Like we didn't just forecast and then it was gone. It was like, you could go back and see exactly what we said and see if we were right or wrong. That was probably the chief thing that pushed me into, uh, I think they call it pro magic seaweed pro land, but still seven days free around the world. I was a plebeian for a while. And then eventually I was like, you know what, Ben, have my money um so i didn't understand that but ben was kind enough to answer a bunch of my other questions about surf forecasting let's hear one of those he was lovely thank you ben let's hear your beautiful voice you lovely englishman and just so i'm clear on that that means like noah would have one swell map just saying hey here's the height here's the period all that here's the position of the storm and you guys actually took like different i would was there like government data points for like wind and stuff that you can get yeah so we use yeah that's right so we use the government winds like everyone you have to use that stuff because to get the wind data you have to be plugged in to all the countries on earth basically cooperating like they all send up weather balloons and they have all this stuff and it all all gets shared between governments it's really hard to tap into that as a commercial organization and you know mostly your your big weather folks your accuweathers and those folks they're all using that government data but once you want to translate that wind into waves, you can either go and, you know, take their data or you can look at that piece and say, well, hang on, this is really, like, this is the, this is the being heart of surf forecast, right? To get this stuff right. So we should do that bit ourselves. Mm, mm, okay. Interesting. Did you do anything else differently? Like, like I know at least for, for whether there's like icon and GFS and all these different models, did you, did you find that like people were using a, did you find that you could use one that was better than what other people were using or was that all pretty standardized as well? For the wind stuff, there's really a couple of winners. Um, So we didn't find tremendous difference with that, but then we've done a lot of work with like, so normally with the, with the wave model, it looks at the winds and it predicts a swell and then it moves the swell towards the beach. So storm near New Zealand, Hey, it's going to be 30 foot seas. Here's the swell. It's going to hit Hawaii some days later once it's gone it's gone and if you got the winds wrong you got it wrong but what we're mm-hmm. doing um and what surfline really pioneered th- th- this is a later magic seaweed thing but was was using satellites on the way so satellites are passing the ocean they're actually measuring wave height and we're feeding that back in so that that's something wow. we do that the result of that means that we are substantially more accurate than Noah, for example, in predicting the timing of large swells in Hawaii. So you know you've seen like these late calls and early calls there where the front the swells forecast pretty much right, but maybe it comes in like nine hours late and like yeah. it's, it's massive there. And you know, there was the eddy that's been ever various other times when that's been really, really substantial. Well, we are massively better there now because of that satellite piece so things like that where you know i don't think we don't i don't think we tell people about that stuff much but in the engine room there's a lot of that stuff going on to make sure that we're different to anything else you can get and better so is that for everywhere in the world or is that exclusive to the pacific that's everywhere that's everywhere yeah i mean this is this was you asked about the different thing we did with, with seaweed one of the things we did with seaweed was we just looked out and we were like 
are first of all the market in England for I mean, England's got a great surf scene, but like you don't look at it and go, this is the center of the surfing universe. So from from the get go with seaweed, it was obviously we were going to want to be global. It was just more fun to be global, but also you get storms propagating into the Pacific from the Indian Ocean. So you you just can't like isolate a region of the world and say we're just going to do this bit. If you mm. want to do it mm. well, you you kind of end up having to do all of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, sense. it's 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 global. Anyway, so a lot of people in the comments have asked, well, what's the deal? What what's going to happen? Is there still going to be the seven day forecast? I don't think so. I didn't get a clear answer there, but they did this with Coastal Watch in Australia. That was a forecasting site popular there. And now if you go to coastalwatch.com, it just redirects you to Surfline. That's where Magic Seaweed is going to end up. I don't know how that works on the app front. Um, I'll try to find that answer. But at the same time, I think that's on them to communicate to you. Not, I'm not going to keep on doing their public service. Um, but I would be pretty confident the seven-day thing is going to go away, given the fact that whatever Coastal Watch is doing, there's no trace of it anymore. So... Uh, if you're a magic seaweed plebeian, enjoy it while it lasts. And um, if the end result of this also is that, because I started, I use this as an exp as a opportunity, to just harass them with questions I've had about surf forecasting for a while too. Uh, you could read all those in the piece. We talked for like 45 minutes, but it's gonna push me to do another story. I promise you, in the next by the next month, we'll say I'm gonna have one. Working title is the Pirate's Guide to Surf Forecasting, and so I'm gonna give you people. Just the do your own research, fucking look at this, that, X, Y, Z for free, and have some fun about trying to make your own little forecasts, and uh, that's coming. So thanks, Ben, for giving me some of what I need for that. Watch the best surfing I've ever seen with Tom Jennings. I feel like I maybe say this a lot on this program, but this is my favorite iteration of this series. I said that a lot about episodes, but the Jenna one was the best. Maybe it's because I've spent time with Jeno and I think he's an incredible person, but he's a good storyteller. And that matters when somebody's telling a story about the best surfing they've ever seen. Um, that said, I have some huge issues with this, which we'll address shortly. But for now, Mikey, overview, what were your thoughts? Well, can I guess what your huge issue is? D does it have to do with them leaving the left to go to the right? It's obvious. It's obvious. You just share your thoughts and we'll get there. Okay, so I watched this literally just before we came on to do this podcast because I obviously had to know what I was talking about. And um, one of the things that, like, in Stab, we're creating so many different things at different times. And a lot of the times, you know, uh, you know, everybody's input is needed or wanted to help make the best product possible. You know, like something like Stab in the Dark is going to be seen by pretty much everyone at Stab before it goes out just to make sure we can curate it and bring it to, like, the highest quality level as we can. With some of these other things, though, like I really enjoy waiting until the end, until they're like fully done and watching them like at that point, because I don't know, it's just such a more like I like watching them as a viewer, too. You know, it's cool to see how the sausage is made, but sometimes you just want to fucking taste that thing at the end. And that's what I did here. And I'm so glad that I did because I'm going to agree with you so much more than like a thousand five hundred percent that this is the best one. I seriously watch this. I almost shed a tear when I was watching it and listening to Jeno talk about it and watching the waves because what he is explaining is literally the entire reason that I surf, at least, and the I would imagine that goes for a lot of surfers as well, but he literally just explains this story and what happened, and it's like, wow, this is literally what I live for. Well, it sure as fuck isn't the reason Brian Craig surfs, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, this trip, July 2011... It, they're in Indonesia. You've got Craig Anderson, Dave Rostovich, Dean Morrison, Ben Goodwin, Ozzy Wright, Ryan Craig, and somehow Chris Del Moro. He really just, uh, <laughs> you know, broke broke the trend a little bit there. Chris, nice job, and what a what a lucky boy. Anyway, so that's your crew, um, Indo boat trip, and they made a wild call, and absolutely, I know I'm saying this with the perspective of a goofy footer, but incredible forecast and they decided to go on a mission like can you imagine like boat trips are so i've never been on one but i would imagine that they're so like delicate like you're on the boat everything is the swells there everything is going right why take a risk why it's 2011 the crowds weren't even that bad why would you do that why would you drive that thing to a place nobody's ever seen been to on a risk 
that's what they did and they pulled it off and i agree with you i mean yeah i'm joking about the goofy foot thing but this is the best the best surfing we've ever seen how i don't even know how to get these words together the best <laughs> the best surfing i've ever seen that we've ever seen there you go um yeah this this was really good i mean this the whole this one really I, the point of this is almost to just talk about pure surfing action waves the things that we like but the fact that it had this incredible backstory behind it which we found already happens with most of these but this one was just it's going to be hard to top um and also i want to i want to hear some audio from jenna on here let's he has a quote because i don't want to give too much more details of the story away go watch it i don't want to ruin it for you but i think this will if you haven't watched it yet this will help contextualize just how good Jeno is. Let's let's hear him. My name's Tom Jennings. I'm 34 years old from West Oz, and I'm a surf cinematographer. I do a lot of work for Billabong, but a few other brands as well, and directly with the surfers. And I basically get hired to shoot surfing and make surfing look good. My, my greatest passion, my greatest skill, the reason why I love it is to shoot water. I love whether it's being in the barrel or shooting a bit longer off a ski or just in the elements, out there feeling nature with the surfers. Like, you just have such a strong bond with the surfers you shoot with if you're sharing the wave with them. The way I see it is, you know, the surf might be pumping and everyone gets one or two good ones, they might get four or five barrels a session. Every single wave that comes through that session, I get barreled on. I get barreled 100 times a session. And it's like, sick. Like, my experience of a barrel is different to a surfer's, but I get the exact same rush, and I get 100 of them in a good sesh. And that's incredible. Interview. Two women violently attacked by visiting surfer in Bali. Fuck, this is the most hectic footage we've seen ever in a very long time, if not ever. This is exactly what the title says. The title says that we interviewed the two women who were attacked, which is true. That's what you can read on Sat Premium. But the story here is that two women were violently attacked in Bali. Um, the surfer was Sarah Taylor, and then her filmer on the beach, Charlie McCarg. There were, this is fucked. I mean, you've probably already seen this. This is the type of thing where I think there's 2,000 comments and counting on the Instagram post we shared about it. It's probably shared around the world already. This is like got the attention of everybody from Slater to Medina to pretty much everybody who has an Instagram and surf. So good chance you've seen this, but we talked to the two women, got the backstory. We play a lot of audio on here, but Coral, who conducted this interview for us, said that, you know, the voices were kind of shaking the whole time. They're still super emotional, so I don't really think we need to share that. But the story breaks it down, um, and what a fucked incident. I've never seen anything like this, and it's just sad. It's just sad. How how can this happen? Yeah, well... In, at this, in this day and age. It's horrible, and fuck. If you, I guess if you believe JP, the guy who did it... Um, he said that he thought it was a man, you know, because what happened was basically Sarah took off on this wave and this guy took off in front of him. So she sort of pushed him off the top of the wave, kept surfing the wave and then was paddling back out. And the guy who hit her is not the guy who dropped in on her. It was his friend. And he was coming from behind Sarah and paddled up all aggressive, punched her, blah, blah, blah. There's this whole thing going on in the water. That's what he says he thought it was a man. But then you go into the footage on the beach and it's like they're on the beach. And he even said in his quote that like, oh, yeah, I realized that it was a woman once she was on the beach because she had a bra on or whatever. And it's like he's still hitting her on the beach. So there's absolutely like there's 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 no excuse for any of it. And the worst part is that there were spectators for all of this, like nearby, out in the ocean, mm. on the beach. And it's like, what are these people fucking doing? I guess there's that thing called the bystander effect that you know, kind of freezes people in instances like this. But it's just, it's crazy to think that this was going on and there were multiple people around and hardly anybody did anything to stop it. Yeah, me too. PSA, if somebody is getting assaulted uh, in the water, out of the water, in front of you in general, do something. Uh, that that was a take a takeaway here. Especially a woman. Um, what the fuck? And then, yeah, his story, fucking hell. You see, the stuff on the beach is almost worse to me. One thing I want to call out too is like a lot of people say that, okay, there's, 
there's cameras everywhere now. Everybody has a smartphone. There's a lot of surf cams. So like that's looked at as a reason why localism has largely disappeared. Um, and first of all, this is not an act of localism. This guy wasn't a local. Uh, he, apparently he'd been living in Bali, but he wasn't a local. The local crew there wouldn't do this. Well, and he uh, got kicked out of Brazil for doing something similar. Um, we've got multiple reports from people who said basically he got kicked out of his town in Brazil because he abused his girlfriend and lit his lit her dog on fire. So yeah, it's like sounds like this guy has a really bad history. It really does. Um, but yeah, this stuff like his his quote about saying he thought it was a guy. The stuff on the beach is completely, completely like makes all of that unbelievable it's just flat out not true i mean at one point he like that stuff makes it almost worse like i, I for some reason i feel like the punch is so fucked up but the long drawn out thing on the beach mm -hmm. where they're outnumbered you don't know what's going to happen like that to me made my skin crawl like i was so it was so like it was nauseating to watch that stuff was worse to me at one point he hits her with a water bottle and thank god this cunt isn't sponsored by a hydro flask because it was just one of those little plastic ones cause that's a that's a weapon um so it just sucks but we have heard that he's gonna get deported from bali now uh who knows where he's gonna go if he's been kicked out of his hometown too but this is this is a bummer but one thing from the interview is that i i mean like i said they they were clearly still traumatized by it that makes sense we spoke with them within hours of it happening but uh they're okay minor injuries and i i don't think that sarah will stop surfing she's working on a stussy edit right now she's a great surfer so um hopefully we'll share her stussy edit when it's ready the north shore has a complex problem to solve I did not go last season. Mikey, you were there, but even when I was there two seasons ago, um, I think my first trip there, shit, I know how old I was. I was like 14. So that would have put it in around 2004. And I know that's fairly recent in terms of surf history and the amount of time people have spent there, but I feel like I've seen that place change a ton in that time and i'm not talking about the culture or anything else i'm talking about literally the shoreline which is the problem that this story tries to address anyway the last few years you've seen it a house has fallen into the water there are some that are on the brink like it just it's i think it's changed so much that it's almost easy to forget when you see it now it looks so precarious you see some houses that are literally just like dangling on like a raging shoreline um, but it, it, I think it's important to remember that it wasn't always like that. And I feel like there's probably a time when people didn't know that it was going to happen or at least happen this quickly. That said, I think erosion has been a constant in Hawaii for a while. I know a lot of it is driven or it's accelerating due to climate change and rising water levels. But anyway, this story breaks down what's going on and kind of focuses on what people are at least pitching right now to try to makes sense out of it which it's still early days but it's clear that something's got to happen because yeah there's basically 73 percent of the beaches are in a state of chronic erosion and one third of all beachfront homes of which there are many sit within 20 feet from the shoreline so this gets into that is that your thing is that your kink mikey uh buck you've been to the outer banks i think we both know where this is going basically people have two options they can basically sell their place now while it still has some value or put it on really rickety stilts and wait for it to fall into the ocean in like 20 years. There's just no other way. Like you can't fix this problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the water's coming. Yeah. It's like, it's a rock in the middle of the Pacific ocean, the world's biggest ocean. It's, it's inevitable. Um, that said, I guess you could, I want to be a stilt dealer there. That's kind of a good business play. <laughs> I mean, it's especially you know, in Hawaii, like the Outer Banks gets a lot of swell, but it's nothing like Hawaii. And, you know, there's this sort of constancy of the swell and the erosion. And then there's also every year there's one or two really big swells. And that's all it really takes to knock a house out. So, I mean, I feel really badly for the people who have these beachfront homes. But at the same time, like this piece talks about some potential government buyouts of that land so that they'd get some money from it. Um, or obviously you can try a private sale, but that, I know it's hard. I imagine, especially if you 
spend a lot of time living right on the beach in Hawaii, you would never want to give that up. But in reality, if you want to get any of your money, any of the value of that property, you should probably think about selling now and either let it be somebody else's problem or let them develop that land, you know, take the house out and develop it in a way that is more sustainable for what's to come. Yeah, yeah. Well, one other thing that I found really interesting about this piece is that, because I've seen it just in my trips over there, but I guess there's this debate around homeowners having the ability to try to find solutions on their own, which you see when you're there. Like you see some people have put sandbags in front of their houses. Some people have even constructed like concrete walls. And so there's a legal fight right now to either give homeowners that power or take it away from them. And the argument that's at least presented in this thread is that that can do more harm than good. Um, in essentially 10 times out of 10 the ocean wins eventually um especially those bags of sand like it's just you're dumping plastic into the water the, the ocean's gonna get them it's gonna grab them and it's gonna just put them into the the system there not good um and even the concrete stuff it can just deteriorate i, I think that's important that's an important thing that's coming and i guess that's just a good i think part of the reason why this is you know obviously the problem's not gonna go anywhere but Part of the reason why that conversation has to be had is because apparently a better solution to that is to build a more, a bigger one. Basically one that isn't just for you, it's for your entire neighborhood. There might be ways to do that more safely that can um, that can at least add some time, I guess, uh, or, or give, yeah, buy time. But, but other than that, Mikey, set up some stilts and uh, on your way. Yeah, well, then also you're talking about like, you know, if you're building these structures on the beach, one, that will obviously affect the wave. If you build a giant concrete wall, that is going to create a ton of backwash. And it also disrupts the actual like beach environment. And the beach is supposed to be a public place, you know, a place for everybody. And if you're basically building onto the beach just to protect your property that is supposed to be off the beach, but is becoming on the beach because of all this erosion, like, yeah, it's just, it's a huge problem. I understand if I had a freaking coastal property, I would be doing everything in my power to try to protect it. But at the end of the day, when we think about the the greater good of sort of humanity and nature, I think that this is a pretty obvious one. It's like, this is happening. We need to figure out a solution where people are not living on in places where their homes are going to be in danger, where they're going to be in danger. And that is going to massively affect the way that nature runs its course. This podcast, unlike many other podcasts out there, is not brought to you by BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp.com is an online therapy service. They make it easy to see somebody. You don't have to go to an office, etc. But they illegally share your data with advertising platforms. That's what the United States Federal Trade Commission says, and that's why they just got fined for $7.8 million. Do you know who the FTC isn't finding right now? Stab Premium. This podcast is brought to you by Stab Premium, and honestly, if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to subscribe. The absolute best way to do that is to subscribe and enter the coupon code drop wallets at checkout one word drop wallets no caps it's not really a discount code it's just a way for us to see that this podcast brought you there but the good news is we're not going to sell your data to facebook or the chinese communist party so get there please support the show love you bye authentic brands group buys board riders for an estimated 1.3 billion dollars all right, yes, we hinted at it last week, but now let's get into the nitty-gritty. This story dropped last Friday, right after we had sent the podcast live, so life works like that sometimes, folks. Also, other times in life, um, a surf brand founded in 1969 when a kind of quirky guy named Alan stitched together a pair of board shorts, uh, becomes massive, goes bankrupt, gets bought, and then sold, and then bought again, and um, now it gets bought by authentic brand group brands group for 1.3 bill oh we have a lot to get into here we have a lot it's uh one thing i want to call out from the beginning is that out of curiosity because i was like how do you benchmark 1.3 billion that sounded like a big number to Huge. me right and so i just i started looking up other billion dollar companies and i was less impressed like the one that i saw that i probably got the most again this is gonna this is going to be irrational because I have experience with this tool, so I know of it. I'm sure there's other things on this 
lists that are even weirder, but there's one called monday.com, which is like a, it's like a workplace manager, almost like Slack or something like that, where you can have like these project boards and you say, you know, this person's responsible for this and this, and here's when it's due. And it's like a way to manage work, especially, I think they probably did really well when a lot of stuff went remote. That's worth a billion dollars. And then I got mad. I was like, 1.3 billion was a lot. And then I was like, no, it's not. If this monday.com is worth 1 billion, like surely, surely board riders is worth more than that. Did you, uh, what do you think? Does, does that sound high to you? Does it sound low? What was your take on 1.3 billion? That number sounds huge to me, but I don't know. I guess then you consider all the different brands that are under that umbrella. And I, I don't know how much value nowadays is placed on legacy versus actual sales you know what i mean like i would imagine that um there is some legacy value cooked into this because it is billabong it is quicksilver etc so um yeah i would imagine there's a bit of a premium on that same as like a surfer mag you know like it probably doesn't have enough uh like income to be worth anything more than like a whatever five hundred thousand dollar company but it's probably worth a lot more because it's surfer mag and you can in theory based on its you know overall value in the surf community like build it up again if you wanted to so anyway there's a lot there but yeah 1.3 billion still that number jumps out is pretty huge to me yeah it initially did until i looked at a weird google list and i got mad because the work management software was right up there too it was i wasn't that impressed with monday.com okay that's all well software is easy though software there's like no overhead like anytime you make a sale it's not like you have to like provide an actual physical product that costs you money more impressed with a nice wetsuit this along with the new magic seaweed news i basically have a question for you buck how do you feel about capitalism how do you feel about bigger companies eating smaller companies merging them putting them under the same umbrella like in a way surfline if it were to keep going right like it could theoretically purchase stab it could theoretically in some world maybe even purchase the world surf league so then you'd have like all of surf like media competition forecast under one umbrella and then you could end up with like all brands under one umbrella it feels kind of weird to me yeah they're different to me so i don't know why i i'm not sure if i'm gonna be able to say why fundamentally they feel different but with the with the board rider stuff, I feel like maybe just making clothing, like these things were people wanted them to grow massive, right? And unless it grows massive and is owned by, you know, it's still privately owned or has some level of ownership where it surfers are involved in some way or the people that started it or have any good intention are involved in some way, uh, that, that day left for these brands at least in 2016 2018 right and i can say after having worked there for a bit during that time i got hired at quicksilver in 2016 it's pretty fucking good to go out and put a dinner on oak trees tab it was a great feeling and people had fun with it i'm gonna be honest like there were times you're just like okay sure company's paying like and it feels good when you know that's some shark on wall street it does thank you oak tree thank you dave tanner um, so maybe, I don't know how I could really say that's different from what's happening at Surfline, but I guess with Surfline, I think about surf forecasting and the craziest thing there is that whole thing about how Surfline and Magic Seaweed both invested in doing their own models. Everybody else is pretty much taking this government data, trying to put it on an interface that might be best optimized for surfers or maybe having their own little spin on it, but they're just, it's fucking, the numbers are there and then they just put them through the, it's less complex. It's considerably less complex than what magic seaweed and surfline were doing apparently nobody else is even anywhere near that level so the fact that they're now together it's a it's different is it different at all or am i just rambling to me it feels more like monopoly like whereas like it's it's harder right now if you're going to start like a surf warehousing site it would be way harder to get any traction against surfline and magic seaweed than it was when they were separate whereas clothing this board riders thing seems almost good for young brands. Like people are going to be like, oh yeah, it's, you know, the more headlines that run about it's corporate and it's this YZ, the more somebody's be like, maybe I should buy former. Maybe I should buy Florence, you know? Uh, whereas this is just like Surfline and Magic Seaweed are just going to work their way into our lives and just strangle. Well, Surfline is just going to 
get give us no other choice yeah i don't know it's it all feels a bit strange to me but to your point i think this does open up a really clear avenue for all these smaller brands to come in and sort of fill that niche of people who you know don't want to wear the major brands and don't want to maybe even support a system that is so like capitalist heavy and so obviously like money driven like i don't know you look at a brand like a former or even a you know florence marine x i'm sure they're going to be huge at some point but right now they still feel very like grassroots and yeah i think it's cool it gives us an option now and i think that you know maybe for some major accessories that are required for surfing you still stick with the you know the principal brands like you know, a billabong wetsuit or whatever. But I think as far as clothing goes and how we choose to like brand ourselves, I think a lot of people will definitely veer toward those smaller brands at this point. Yeah. And that's the opposite for forecasting because it's like, you could start a brand that's smaller and silver right now and just be like, Hey, we're not the big ones. you know? We're more niche surf forecasting. It's like, you really think you're going to come at Surfline with their 37 years of data. And now Ben, uh, Freeston, who's just like different mind and you have sean collins whole 37 years and he was telling me that they use satellites to track swells on the way nobody else does that like you're not gonna beat goliath whereas well, you might you're, you're pirate surf forecasting i'm excited to see this article <laughs> we can uh, yeah shifting gear i changed my sense we can beat goliath <laughs> but just on a personal level but like if you're to start something it's like it's laughable. You can't. Like, Surfline now has more resources, and I know they've already been owned, or Magic Seaweed has been owned by them by 2017, but keeping it separate at least let them do different things, whereas now it's like, are you kidding me? You're going to you're gonna try to be a surf forecasting site without all these resources, all the the money that they have to do? Like, even if you did something well, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we could do that too, except 10 times better. It's like, it feels like way more of a monopoly to me, whereas on the clothing side, it's like a smaller thing is almost it's arguably better off anyway it's not over with authentic brands group what they do is licensing plays and basically you kind of talked about before mikey but they didn't just buy this for the sales they bought it because they know that these brands are globally recognized and that the logos are very familiar to a lot of people they have whether or not the the average person walking by a billabong store somewhere in the world has no idea what we're talking about right now um, they just think, Hey, that's a cool logo and a brand I've seen around for a while. And somebody's doing in a nice place doing something I wish I was doing right now. I'm going to go buy a pair of flip-flops. Um, that's not why they bought it. They bought it because they want to take that logo and sell it to other people who are going to keep using it out and out and out. They bought the intellectual property so that they can sell the license for people to run that intellectual property, i.e. the logo and put it on whatever they want if the deal is right. With Blue Star, who bought Hurley, we see we saw that on things like electric scooters. Um, so there was a point when Blue Star, for a while, it was it seemed like it was between the two. Blue Star and Authentic Brands are both gunning for board riders. It seemed like it was going to be Blue Star for a minute. They entered a period of exclusivity on the deal, which meant that they pretty much like when you reserve an airline seat and you have 24 hours to think about it, they pretty much had a glorified version of that. And then in the end, Authentic Brands got it, which at one point to a friend who works there said a friend told me that that was the best case scenario just because how it's worked with Volcom but authentic brands could still torch this thing if they want to they could torch a bunch of the employees they could sell a license to some sketchy people we don't know that it's going to happen exactly as it did with Volcom which was nobody got fired and they said keep doing what you're doing hopefully that happens but we don't know we'll know more when this deal closes which I think is in the third quarter roughly summer fall so this story might go a little quiet till then. Once we get more about who's getting a license and how they're going to play it, that'll be a bunch of big news. For now, we're going to look into surfers' contracts there because no matter what, when keys change hands, it's it's rare that people don't you know, keep things exactly as is, even though that was essentially the case of Volcom. So we're going to look into which surfers have contracts that are expiring this year because they'll be the most vulnerable. And then from there, we'll keep you posted on who gets these licenses because that is going to be very crucial in how this one unfolds from here. Almost time for the surf sin. You can almost taste it. It's lingering in the air. But first, Mikey, you are about to place, or maybe you have placed, the biggest surf bet of your life. 
Tell us more. This event that we're in right now, Bells, it has one of the most important heats of our generation coming up. And it is the heritage heat between Tom Curran and Mark Ocalupo. Ooh. And before this event started, you know, I've been getting a lot of flack from Tom Bird. He is uh, one of the uh, co-owners of Stab and an absolute betting degenerate. Loves every little second of it. He's yeah. had some huge wins, some huge I losses. You, he just, he lives and breathes for this shit. And, you know, he's the one that's sort of been mentoring me a little bit. I'm pretty new to this. And he says that I'm too conservative. He says I need to basically throw all the chips on the table and make a big swing at something. So I figured what better heat to do it in than one that has absolutely no rhyme or reason or logic or anything that you could presumably base on fact or it just really depends on like which way the fucking wind blows that morning and a butterfly like falls left or right. That's pretty much what decides who wins this heat. Um, so in my mind, it's pretty 50, 50, either one of them could show up either, um, you know, half drunk or one of them could have like a skim board or one of them could have their fins on backwards. You just never know what's going to happen. You have no idea. (laughs) Are they both going to show up? Are there odds on that? (laughs) Are they going to show up? They're both there. We know they're there. We know they're there, but it's, I mean, can you guarantee that they there could be like a big continental breakfast on the morning of the heat? They could just get like way overloaded on sausages and just not be able to make it down. Um, really anything is, is up for grabs here. So anyway, I vowed to make a thousand dollar bet on betonline.ag. I hadn't decided who I was going to go with just yet. Cause I wanted to get some reports in the ground, who was looking good, who was riding what, etc. The thing is yesterday I went to make my bet. I put a thousand and one dollars on Tom Curran, uh, he was the surfer with the, I don't know, I never know how to say this, like the better odds, like he would pay more than Aki basically. Betting on Aki if you won would get you less uh, return than if you bet on Curran. But yeah, I was liking Curran, he's a regular foot. Um, I saw he was riding a semi-normal looking surfboard, which was good news, and um, he's a total wild card, but so is Aki, so I just wanted to go with Curran. But anyway, I went to make this bet and son of a bitch, betonline.ag capped it at $100. They said you can't bet more than $100 on this because it's a specialty event. And I think realistically what that means is we have no idea what's going to happen here. And therefore, we're not going to let some idiot make a bunch of money off of us by just picking one at random and getting it right. Oh, well, okay. At least that means that I can make a bet too because I don't even have $1,000 in my bet online account because I I actually make some money off surfing. I went 0 for 6, Bell's opening day. Nice. Nice. But some, mostly I, I do get a little bit in the green. Uh, I should just follow your picks exactly. I don't. <laughs> I always bet underdogs and lose, which is exactly what I did when I went 0 for 6. You didn't pick Jacko Baker then? No, I didn't. I'm sorry. I should have. It was my fault. It was my fault um yeah of course losing money on gambling was your fault dickhead but anyway that makes it so i could make a bet now i i couldn't match your bet so i'll go 100 on aki it's the right thing to do as a goof um we'll keep you posted on that a few more things on the site that deserve your attention right now we have an o'neill edit the title is there's no such thing as an unremarkable hawaiian winter and isn't that true did you think it was sleepy guess what guess what it wasn't team o'neill has another thing to tell you we have got the DB range, DB and stab, the product range is live. If you're a premium member, you get a 20% discount. I think I did a premium ad for this podcast. So even though you don't get a coupon code like we did one time, you get a 20% discount on the DB thing immediately. So there's your coupon code. There you go. Figure it out. We've got a few things coming up. We've got another best surfing I've seen. This one's going to be with Wade Carroll next week. And we've got a story coming with the 100 foot wave on HBO coming later this month we've got a piece about a kid who that's here's gonna change his life and we're gonna get into that what about a stab edit of the year oh and we got a stab edit of the year too lucas godfrey and a weird reptile edit with some very good surfing um and an interview that explains why he's a half reptile man throughout the edit which i really enjoyed thank you coolio you did great all right, and it is surfs in time. Not time to hear one, but time to discuss some penances. As you know, we are now asking for surf sins in the form of videos. And the purpose of that is that so we can share them on the Stab Instagram page. We've done it twice so far, and I have loved the results. Um, we get some funny penances, some strange penances, some funny comments that are not 
dependencies at all, some quirky things. Um, a lot of times, there's like a Reddit channel, you call them channels, board, whatever it is, but it's called Roast Me, where people just post a photo of himself and everybody that's on that thing just tries to make fun of them. There's a little bit of that going on with the surf sim, which I think you should embrace. I think all you listeners should subject yourself and your sins to public ridicule on Stab Mag's Instagram. It's a very smart idea. It's a good thing to do. And so this week, because it was timely with that Surfline story, we posted a surf sim that already hit the podcast here. It was that one about somebody knowingly surfing a worse wave because the Surfline cam was there. So we shared that kind of right around that same day with the Surfline news. I'm going to read a penance from that. It's my favorite one. Penance just says, has to ride a kneeboard in front of the same Surfline camera every day for a work. Uh, I think that meant weak, but I like illiteracy in general. I like it. I like getting things a little bit wrong. Adds character. So thank you, Jacob. That's my favorite one. Great Instagram handle on too. Is just come round A was his, his handle, which you, you did good there, Jacob. I like that. All right, I got one too. So this one is from McCardle Hankin, I think. And McCardle Hankin says that our friend here has to walk to a crowded beach with wax on the inside and leash dragging on the ground. Stretch for 25 minutes, struggle to paddle out, then pull out of every wave until the last, which you ride in on your stomach. Get to the beach, give the first 18 people you see the shaka, and tell them how much fun you had and how beautiful the ocean is. <laughs> I think that one was the most light comment, and it was, it made me laugh. It's, you have, you'd have to stay in character is the thing for me. Like, I get, I would like it if it was just like, walk with the leash dragging for like a mile or something, or like if it was that, but like that requires staying in character, which I think is hard to pull off, but otherwise great penance, very creative. Sorry for the interruption. We just have a slight update here. After Buck and I recorded, we checked the Instagram post again and turns out that Kelly Slater, the goat himself, left a penance for the Surfline Center. Here's what Kelly had to say. On par with an empty beach with one guy out and you paddle out next to him because you saw him get a good one. Penance is erasing his clips before he can view them. Thank you so much, Kelly, for weighing in, giving us your two cents, giving us a penance. I will say this penance doesn't really make sense because I don't know how you're supposed to delete Surfline clips at all, let alone before you see them. You kind of have to download them and then and erase them. Yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. But anyway, we really appreciate your penance. We hope you'll be back next week. And with that, back to Buck. So yeah, thank you. And submit some more surf sins, submit videos, subject yourself to a little bit of ridicule and a lot of healing. For now, let's admit 60 seconds 60 or less. 60 seconds or less. Let's now administer some penances. What's up, boys? I got a sin for you. So, recently I got into shaping surfboards and I made my first board, and it actually turned out super good. I had a friend who knows what he's doing, helped me, um, and I was all stoked on it. And I decided for my brother's birthday, I was going to make him shortboard, I was like, yeah, I'm the shit, I'm super good at this, I can make you a really good board, um, and so anyways, I start making the board, and realize that I just wanted to make myself another board, and so I just rushed through his, so I could start on my next one for myself, and I gave it to him, saying like, oh, this thing's sick, you're gonna love it. Um, but secretly the board's a plug, it's got like no rocker, the rails are boxy, the sanding was shitty, um, and so, yeah, I don't know, I felt like I did a good thing giving him a board, but I rushed through it and pretended like it was super good when I don't think it's that good, so, yeah, I feel kind of bad, let me know what I gotta do. It's hard because he gave somebody a shit surfboard, Okay, but he gave somebody a surfboard. No, I've been thinking about this a lot. I genuinely believe it is worse to get a bad surfboard than it is to get no surfboard at all. Because when you get a bad surfboard, especially a new one, you feel such an obligation. And especially if you get it as a gift, you feel such an obligation to surf it 
and enjoy it and have fun with it and like create this connection with it. And then when you can't, you just keep having these bad sessions. You get in this terrible cycle. You're not having any fun. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what are you surfing for? That is literally the point of surfing is to go have fun and like relieve your stress or whatever. And you're just creating more stress in your life. So I genuinely think a brand new free bad board is worse than no board at all. That's a really good point. I was I was struggling for a while because I was like, but he gave, it's still a gift. Like I would rather, imagine if this was like a bottle of wine. Would you rather somebody give you a pretty shitty bottle of wine or no wine? I'd take the wine. I'd take the wine. But you're, you are nailing this more than I am. It's, surfboards are not wine. And yeah, I guess if you get the wrong wine, you'll get, it'll taste bad and you'll get a bad hangover maybe. But like surfing on a bad board sucks. Like you the feeling of everything coming together. Okay, you happened, this fucking wind blew and Surfline tracked to the satellite and maybe you got there and you're meeting it. You're in the ocean at this exact point in time right when this wave is doing something fascinating with all of its energy and something goes wrong. It's like everything else went right. This like miracle came together and then your board fucked it up. That is a horrible feeling. And then you can't, you can't sell it because it's a gift. Like, it's, you're fucked. You're just stuck with this thing, looking at it forever. Oh, yeah. No, this is a crime, actually. This guy should just go to jail. This is fucked. No, you made this way more clear. I was, like, going to give some soft penance. What's yours? Because this is, this is jail time. Yeah, mine's, uh, mine's really simple. So he's got to shape another plug for himself. Make it worse than the one that you gave to your brother. And you have to surf it exclusively for a month straight. Uh, this kind of goes back to the the penance, that, or not the penance, but the bet that we have going on the uh, Surf Ranch event later this year. But I'm going to take it a step further, and it's that after you do that month of surfing that board exclusively, you have to then hang it on your wall as decoration for at least a year. Okay, because I was going down a different a different route with my penance because I wasn't interpreting this thing correctly. I'm just going to add to yours. First thing that came to mind, I don't know why, my brain is broken, deal with it. You have to hand draw the cat in the hat on it. You have to get some markers, some Posca pens, and draw Dr. Seuss's The Cat in the Hat on the whole length of the bottom of the board. Spray some stuff over it, make sure it doesn't go anywhere, but give this thing a truly horrendous artwork, which to me is a a hand-drawn iteration of The Cat in the Hat, especially if you are not good at art. (laughs) It's just a weird thing to have on your board. That's mine, especially the display thing. I'm just going to add to that um, because that's better than jail time. But I think we did good here, Mikey. I think we have a great penance. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. And again, if you have a surf center of your own, please submit them to michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. Film them on an iPhone vertically 60 seconds or less and you might be featured on stabs instagram where people will roast you ruthlessly it's a great time we really highly encourage it until next week over and out